continuing our sermon series, We Are the Church, and we are in the book of 1 Timothy, we're in chapter 4, we're going to read in, in a moment, verses 6 through 16, today's sermon is entitled, The Making of a Leader, and I want to begin with this, all of us have influence in somebody's life, besides our own, every single one of us, and so in that sense, every single one of us are a leader. And if we're a Christian, then we are a Christian leader. So, Paul does a lot of talking to Timothy about leaders in the church, and it's easy to say, well, that's not me. Uh, you know, I don't lead anything in the church, so this doesn't apply to me. Well, I firmly believe that this does apply to each and every one of us, because each and every one of us have influence in somebody's life. And as a Christian, we are an influence for Christ in some manner, for some end in somebody's life. So each and every one of us are our leaders. So when we look at this passage, in the sermon, the making of a leader, yes, I'm talking to each and every one of you as I talk to myself. Retired Lieutenant General Hal Moore served in the United States Army in Vietnam. He led the unit that developed what we now know as the Air Cavalry. Infantry soldiers deployed into the field of battle on helicopters. Right. Then Lieutenant Colonel Moore led his unit into the Idrain Valley after their training was completed, where they fought and defeated an entrenched enemy force that had controlled the area unchallenged before this battle. The techniques that they trained and used there and their success in the Hydrain Valley changed the course of the conflict. General Moore later wrote a book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, Hydrain, the Battle that Changed the War in Vietnam. The book was eventually made into an excellent movie that I've seen several times. It's actually one of the most impactful movies I've ever seen, entitled We Were Soldiers. There are a couple of memorable examples of great leadership in this book that I want to share with you this morning. One is then Lieutenant Colonel Moore's leadership by example. He practiced Philo, F-I-L-O, first in, last out. He was on the first helicopter to land in the valley, and his boots were the first boots to touch the ground out of the chopper. After the extended battle was completed, he was on the last chopper out, and his boots were the last to leave the field of battle to get on the last chopper, and the battle was done. Another example of great leadership was Colonel Moore's wife back <laughs> home when the unit was fighting in the hydrant were casualties. Men lost their lives. And the army tasked a local taxi service with delivering the death notices to the wives. When Mrs. Moore found out, she had the notices delivered only to her. And she personally delivered the horrible news to the women families 
of the men who are not coming home alive. I am in awe of her instinct and, and her choice to serve. Leadership means service. Leaders are servants. So Paul talks to Timothy, and Scripture talks to us about a good minister of Christ Jesus. Paul's topic in today's passage, a good minister of Christ Jesus, sounds like the topic of a, of a pastor's conference, how to be a good minister. But it doesn't match the contents of some conference brochures. There's nothing in what Paul shares with Timothy about marketing, or about managing growth, or about conducting a high-profile pastoral ministry. Paul offers Timothy, and Scripture offers us, four biblical guidelines for effective ministry. Follow these, Paul urges Timothy, and he says, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. So let's read this passage, and then let's look at these four areas that Paul shares, and Scripture shares with us. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters... You will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So four principles of ministry that Paul shares with Timothy and Scripture shares with us, so we can learn and apply some truth from this passage to our lives today. The first one is know and teach the truth. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 says, Nourished on the truth of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So there's, there's some, some truth that Timothy is nourished on, uh, and there's truth that he has followed, and it's not all from just his time with the Apostle Paul. Uh, Timothy was ready as a young man to be part of Paul's missionary team and to be left behind in Ephesus to be the pastor of the church while Paul and the rest of the team moved on, because Timothy's mother and grandmother... Eunice and Lois are saluted for their faith as well. Paul mentions them by name in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So Timothy was brought up 
by his, at least his mom and grandma in the truth of the Christian faith. And the word here, it's when it says about nourished, it's not just a past nourishment. The verb is in the present tense, literally meaning being nourished in. So Paul, uh, Timothy was nourished from the past. His mom and grandma poured their faith in Jesus Christ into him early. Literally, the first church that was ever founded in their part of the world, they were a part of, and they nourished Timothy in that. But it wasn't just a past thing. Paul is saying here, being nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed today. So, we're still nourished. We have the Word. We gather for worship. We bless each other. We, we challenge each other. Um, we serve. We are being nourished today as we follow Christ faithfully. While Timothy's enemies were concerned with limiting the intake of their followers, Timothy was feeding on and living on the truth. And the more he could feed on it and live on it, the more he could give to his followers, the better, right? Paul never takes the importance of doctrinal truth, of good theology, of understanding what the Bible is telling us. He never takes it lightly, ever. Uh, Paul has seen, and he mentions like over and over in 1 Timothy, what poor theology can do. Paul points out the two sides of the teaching task very clearly in his instructions for Timothy. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, point these things out to the brothers and sisters. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, command and teach these things. So point these things out to the brothers and sisters, command and teach these things. In verse 6 there, point out, that's a close-up and personal approach. It means that to suggest or to advise and to encourage Timothy is to be a persuader. He's to, he's to have close personal relationship with the members of the congregation that he pastors, and he's to encourage them, to persuade them, to suggest and advise them in a close, comforting, affirming way. Convincing his hearers with quiet reason and gentle appeals. Timothy's parishioners were members of the same family, not in the sense that Eunice and Lois were, but Paul describes the church as the household of God. So as, as fellow attenders, members of the same congregation, they're family. So we're family. Let's live like it. Timothy is not to be a pastor on a pedestal. Nobody else is meant to be a pastor on a pedestal. The picture here is of servanthood leadership. One brother serving the spiritual needs of others in a considerate and consensus-building way. And then in verse 11, Paul tells Timothy, command and teach these things. Timothy is to be a proclaimer, announcing God's truth with conviction. Christian leaders are to announce God's truth with conviction and with courage and with authority. From the pulpit, the preacher must insist that the church line up with the truth. And the confident proclaimer and the gentle persuader are one and the same. Two sides of the pastoral coin. Two sides of the Christian leader 
point. It's both and, not one or the other. And, and many of us who attend church and, and profess faith in Christ, we like one or the other. Some of us like to come on Sunday and hear a good sermon, but don't try to get too close and persuade me or advise me about anything personally. Um, and others want to be affirmed in that comforting, persuasive, affirming, one-on-one -on -one personal way, but don't stand up there and tell me anything I don't want to hear. Just tell me I'm, I'm good where I'm at, doing what I'm doing, right? Well, the pastor, the Christian leader is called to do both. And so this is like stark contrast where Paul says the truth of faith and of good teaching that you have followed and then Paul talks about the false teachers that, that the godless myths and old wives tells. And those who know and believe the truth and those who follow something else, sometimes anything else, rather than submit faith in Christ. Um, what Timothy's opponents offered to the church, to society, was profane and ungodly and superstitions. So the Ephesians in the church and outside the church have a choice. We, inside and outside the church, have a choice. Are we choosing faith or fables? Truth or a lie? Heaven or hell? In verses 7 and 8, Paul uses a, a word picture that's borrowed from the world of sports and fitness. And Paul urges Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, train yourself to be godly. Train and training come from the same Greek root as the word that gives us the word gymnasium. So, train yourself. It's like an exercise regimen. Holy living as a follower of Jesus requires daily discipline. The believer's devotional habits are like a regular workout in God's gym. Daily discipline. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Now, physical training is of some value. It makes us have more energy. It makes us live longer to have more days to share our faith and to live as a leader for Christ, right? Um, so take care of yourself. Get rest when you need to. Eat properly. Get some exercise on a regular basis. You know, I mean, there's things that we can do to improve our physical health. It has some value, but it only lasts in this life. But godliness has value for all things because it makes us fit for this life and for the eternal life to follow. God wants us to have the best of both worlds. He wants us to have the best of this world this life offers, and he wants us to have the best that he offers in eternity because God created a both. The third time, there's a mention of trustworthy saying in 1 Timothy is found in verse 9, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, where Paul tells Timothy that this also deserves full acceptance. Paul declares 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, that we labor and strive because we have put our faith in the living God. Nothing, he 
except salvation comes without effort. Salvation is by grace through faith. The one who made the effort that we could be saved is Jesus. So salvation comes without effort. It comes by faith. But nothing else in this life does. Oh my gosh, how the American society today wants something for nothing. Oh my gosh, man. Well, I'm watching politicians on TV like ridiculously trying to outdo each other on what they're going to give away for free. You don't want to work? Well, we'll throw a check your way. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything's a right and you're entitled to everything and and uh, it's free. Hmm. That's not what Scripture says here. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, we labor and strive because we've put our hope in the living God, either in the gym or in the sanctuary, we work hard at our hope. Once again, God is called in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, the Savior of all people. Let's understand this correctly. First, what it's not. Paul calling God the Savior of all people, it's not universalism which is the belief that all will ultimately be saved. And we need to hear this in the church and in the society because it's amazing how everybody thinks all their relatives that they love are in heaven. The Bible says that by faith in Jesus Christ you go to heaven and without faith in Jesus Christ you go to hell. That's the eternal reality. But we all think that if we like them, oh yeah, they're in heaven because we like them. Um, and, and our liking them saves them somehow. And, and in the church, we say we don't believe that, but it's amazing how much of the conversation still sounds exactly like that, even in the church. So, Paul saying that God is the Savior of all people is not universalism. We need to take it in context with the rest of, of the letter of 1 Timothy in Scripture. What Paul is saying here is an echo from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. God is the Savior of all people in the sense that everybody has the, the full opportunity and the complete freedom to choose faith in Christ, and they will be saved by grace, unmerited favor, because Jesus died on the cross for them. And if they will just accept it, they will be saved. Okay? So, in that sense, God is the Savior of all people. And, and Paul continued in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 when he says that he is the Savior of those who believe. So, faith is available to every single one of us. Nobody is excluded. Even the people we don't like. Even the people who really done us dirty, right? Or the people who really done some heinous stuff. Um, haven't we all? And we think we're saved. Well, they can be saved too. And they need to be. And they have the full opportunity to be because they have the freedom to believe in Jesus because he wants all people to be saved. And no one can be saved in any other way or by any other one than Jesus Christ and faith in him. So, the first point that Paul has for Timothy and Scripture has for us is know and teach the truth. The second point is set an example for the church. Paul tells Timothy... Scripture tells us to set an example for the church. Who's supposed to be the example? You are. 
and I need to say I am. I'm supposed to be the example, but it's not just me. It's not just you. We all are. Individually and the way we behave together, set an example for the church. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul tells Timothy, Scripture tells us, command and teach these things. Teaching is essential. But you know what? The truth is more is caught than taught. Paul knows that leadership includes modeling the Christian life. And in our modeling the Christian life and our living, others will catch the faith, even when we're not like specifically trying to teach the truth of the Bible and Christian faith. Paul himself was a model. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Sometimes when I read passages like that that Paul says, I'm just amazed at how bold of a statement that is. You know, telling people in writings, follow my example. Let me be a model for you. I am a model for you. Follow me as I follow Christ. But that's our calling. It's not just Paul, it's us. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul again, we did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. And Paul is talking about working as a tent maker to provide the funds to be a ministry. And, and uh, it's not that he didn't have a right to ask for help or to receive more help than he did, but he did this model of ministry in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandson, amen section. So, Timothy, and you, and I, are Christian leaders, and so we must be a model also. You know what? We don't have a choice about this. We are the model that others around us see. Whether we want to be or not, that's the truth. That's the fact. We are the model of Christ for them. People listen to what we say. Um, so, as public figures, according to 1 Timothy 4.12, we must set an example for believers in speech and in conduct. Now, that includes in our time of public worship, but it includes our private life. It includes every moment of every day. People listen to what we say. And people watch what we do. Even though Timothy had joined Paul in ministry 15 years earlier, before the writing of this letter, before Timothy was already pastor in the church in Ephesus. 15 years before that, Timothy joined Paul in ministry. It appears from this passage that some were still inclined to consider him a youngster. First um, Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul tells him, Scripture tells us, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. You know, you reach an age where that's not an issue anymore, right? Um, it, it's funny how ministry goes. At first, you know, you're, you're too young and wet behind the ears to really know what life's all about, so what are you going to tell me, Skippy? And then you get to a place where, where um, you, don't, you don't know what it's like because you were never a kid. And so the ones who are younger think you're out of touch and don't have anything to tell me about life, you know. So it's a funny, funny age-related 
dynamic as, as a Christian leader. But Paul is telling Timothy, Scripture is telling us, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And I'm stopping a mid-verse there. Uh, many, many in Tim Timothy's congregation would have been older than him. And so he would not have been uh, the elder in the sense of the number of years he'd lived. You know, I've, I've been on teams, ministry teams, and leading a church, and in the work world, the military, where the youngest, least experienced person who repeatedly needed guidance and correction on the same issues was like the one who felt the strongest that they had all the answers and all the knowledge, right? So, it's I, I'm stopping in mid verse here, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, isn't uh, an unqualified statement to young people to like, demand that they be respected. Respect is earned. So 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 goes on. Here's Paul's solution to this dynamic. And his solution is simple. Picking back up in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12, set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Whatever age you are, if you are young and you want to be a leader, then set an example. Be an example of what a real dual follower of Jesus looks like. Um, with your words and your actions. With your choices in public and your choices in private. It's a simple solution. Silence your critics and win their support with your behavior. And let your life speak for you. You don't have to defend yourself against every charge. Oh my gosh, what a liberating thing that was for me to discover. Um, the old hippies used to say, what if they threw a war and nobody came? When somebody wants to go to war with you and have a battle and accuse you, you don't have to meet them there. You know, maybe sometimes you need to, but you don't have to meet them there. And it's not nearly as fun to have a battle alone as it is to have an opponent in front of you. Shoot, shoot your weapon at, right? It's not nearly as fun. And people have a way of running out of gas and going away um, and, and stopping their behavior when you just don't meet them there. So let your life speak for you. And over time, people that are fair and honest will figure that out. So the second of the four points is set an example for the church. Point number three that Paul has for Timothy and Scripture has for us is minister the word in all its forms. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, until I come. So Paul is making a plan to come back and revisit Ephesus. So Paul had been there before with the missionary team, and it was literally the first time they ever heard the good news that Jesus saved. When, when the church was planted in Ephesus, it was literally the first time Christian church there, ever. And, and Paul was in charge of the ministry team that God used to make that happen. And then Paul left Timothy to be the pastor, and him and the rest of the team moved on. But Paul's saying, until I come. So Paul's part, his plan, if God allows, would be to come back and revisit Ephesus. So, a visit from the great apostle Paul, man, that would be a red-letter day on the calendar of the Ephesian church. They would promote that, they would invite all their family and friends, it would be a big deal because a big-time Christian leader is coming to be with us and among us, right? 
But you know, and, and, and I know Christians who, who, and other people too, they, they miss so much in daily life because they're looking for the next big event. Oh man, I went to this retreat. It was just amazing. Everybody was blessed and the Spirit fell. Oh my gosh. And then they're just waiting for the next retreat, right? Or the only reason they work is so they can go to Disneyland. You know, because they're, they're real living. It's Disneyland, man. It's not back home the, the other 50 weeks of the year, right? Um, and those, you know, those are just a couple examples to, to kind of help you understand. So, yes, it would be exciting if somebody like Paul came, but the life and faith of a believer and a congregation is shaped not so much by the special events, though they are special, but by the day in and day out faithful obedience of an individual who's a believer in Jesus Christ or the church as the household of God. It's a day in and day out faithful obedience that builds our character. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Minister the word in all its forms. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 says, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. All three of those tasks center on the Word of God. The first thing mentioned there is reading Scripture. Notice the prominence. It's the first thing that Paul says here, that Paul gives to the use of Scripture in public worship. And here at Desert Hills, we read the Scripture passage that's the basis for a sermon in its entirety every Sunday before we look at it in smaller sections. And sometimes we read it an additional time earlier in the service before the sermon starts. So we give preeminence, prominence to the reading of Scripture. The second thing that Paul mentions to Timothy and Scripture mentions to us is preaching. Preaching has been identified with Christian worship since the church was born. Literally, the day the church was born, after Peter's stirring message on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell. The sermon that day was an integral part of New Testament worship as a way to open the Word of God and to worship the God of the Word. The focus of preaching needs to be on God's revelation of Himself to us. That's why biblical preaching is the best preaching. I had a professor in college, a New Testament professor, and, and he had had been in another denomination and he lived in the Northeast and he rose in prominence while he was still in his he was in his late 20s and he became the pastor of the biggest church of that denomination in New England and the first Sunday that he preached in that church the biggest attendance of any church in that denomination in New England the first Sunday he preached a sermon it was a biblical sermon, and it was the first time the Bible had been read during a sermon in that church in nine years. And I'm not going to mention what denomination it is, but it's a denomination today that has abandoned the biblical standard for human sexuality completely, and who also promotes universalism. 
So uh, th things that are, are not good happen when that was me kissing the grandson. Came up on the platform to help me preach. Um, biblical preaching is the best preaching. A sermon that digs deep into the word and a sermon that digs deep into the hearts of the hearers. And as a 29-year-old pastor of the largest attendance congregation in that denomination in New England, within two years, uh, the bishop, which, which is, we would think of at the Church of Nazareth as a district superintendent, ran him off because he was preaching biblical sermons. And that's how he ended up being uh, a professor at a Bible college. So good on him for finding a way to continue to be a Christian leader and fulfill the calling that I have in his life. But what a scary thing that tells us about the view of some who profess faith in Jesus Christ believe about the value of the word that's preaching on a Sunday morning. Wow. The third thing is teaching. Teaching is closely related to preaching. Jesus spent significant time teaching his disciples, his followers. One example is the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus taught this extended passage to his disciples there. And um, our sermon series this fall, that's going to take us to the time of year, the season where we celebrate the birth of Christ, is going to be from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So if you want to read ahead, you can read there, and in early September, that's where we're going to be. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul refers to elders whose work is preaching and teaching. Timothy had that same dual assignment. Timothy was called to preach and teach the church in Ephesus. Now, remember the context of, of Timothy's ministry and of the of the ministry and existence of the church in Ephesus, there were false teachers inside and outside the church that were trying to take things away from the good news and trying to add things that you had to do. So Timothy served, ministered in, in an environment where there was competition for the truth from false teachers. So Timothy's teaching ministry was especially important. Well, guess what? We live in Gooding, Idaho, where there is competition for the truth. And so my teaching and preaching ministry is vitally important, not just to this congregation, but to this community, to our family, to our friends who aren't here this morning. So pray for me, please. Teaching and teachers are mentioned more than 30 times in the pastoral epistles. Those are the letters that have a pastoral tone to them. Those are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. In those three books of the New Testament, teachers and teaching is mentioned more than 30 times. So Paul was adamant about this, that those that he left behind to be pastors in the church taught and preached. And Scripture's word to us today is that the pastor needs to teach and preach. The church in the generation after Timothy would not let a person participate in the sacraments of baptism or the Lord's Supper, receiving communion, until after completing a catechism of required instruction in the Word. 
They had to demonstrate a basic knowledge of biblical truth before they could receive communion or before they could be baptized. So, Timothy's ministry of the word is the gift that Paul refers to in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, when he says, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders lays their hands on you. So there was a time when the leaders in the church in Ephesus, with Paul being there, laid their hands on Timothy and affirmed his calling by God to be pastor of the church and recognized his giftedness, God-giftedness, that God had given him what a person needs to pastor a church, to preach and teach. And the Church of the Nazarene has a wonderful ordination service where the district superintendent and, and the ordained pastors that are there lay their hands on the ordinance, those who are being ordained that night. And, and it's there's elements of that that are straight out of these words in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. It's an amazing, life-changing, memorable moment in the life of a pastor. Paul encourages Timothy to not neglect your gift. Don't neglect the gift that God's given you. And as Christian leaders today, Scripture is speaking to us and telling us, don't neglect the gift. We've all been given spiritual gifts. Every single one of us. Don't neglect them. In the Back in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are a couple parables. One of Jesus tells a parable about the talents, which was a measure of money. And the other is about the pounds, which is another way of saying a measure of wealth. One of them's in Matthew chapter 25, the other one's in Luke 19. And in both of these parables, Jesus basically says, you've been given this gift, use it or lose it. So, the gift makes Timothy's ministry possible. The gift of God makes our ministry possible. To lose the gift is to lose the ministry. So don't neglect your gift. The final point that Paul has for Timothy and Scripture has for us today, remain committed to the call. Remain committed to the calling. The task for any minister can be daunting. Paul had already called Timothy to teach the truth, to set an example, to preach the word. And now Paul has a couple more things here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. And that's not really Paul adding two new things or two more things. Here in, in verse 15, Paul is revealing the secret for accomplishing the tasks that have already been given by him to Timothy and by Scripture to you and I. When we give ourselves fully to God and His work, God gives Himself to us in return. And everyone will see our progress as well, just like everyone would see Timothy's progress as he remained committed to the calling. Dedication to the ministry builds confidence in a Christian leader. 
and in their God-given authority. And then the last verse today, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. That's good advice to anyone. Watch your life. Watch your doctrine, the set of beliefs that you base this life and eternity on. Watch them closely. Keep yourself uncontaminated by the fantasies and false stories of Satan that surround us. The purity of both Timothy's character and his faith are again on Paul's heart, as Timothy writes this letter. And in Scripture, this is on God's heart for us. The apostle knows, God knows, that before any preacher prepares a message, they must prepare themselves, right? you got to walk the talk, and you got to walk before you talk. Um, there was, a, there was a, a guy who was a pastor uh, as a young man, and, and um, he was a youth pastor and then a, a lead pastor. And he wrote a book that called single people to quit dating, to not, to not have dating another single person as the model for how they live and behave before getting married. But, you know, there's times when you can get together in groups and, and talk one-on-one -on -one within a group and stuff, but don't consider dating to be the form because there's too much temptation, too many bad things happening and stuff. That was his premise. Well, after 17 years of marriage, and, and I can't remember if it's two or three kids, he announced that... Um, He's leaving the faith because he's no longer a Christian. And then, shortly after that, he announced he's getting divorced. His wife is 17 years, children at home, and he's getting divorced. So he went from being a pastor influential enough to be invited to be a speaker and to write a book and, and, to, and to have this way of, of uh, encouraging sexual purity before marriage. And then he ends up leaving the faith, and leaving his wife and children. So, persevere in them, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There are people who seem to do great things for Jesus still fall away. And so perseverance is, is an essential. It's, ne it's necessary for us. Persevere in that because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your people. So Paul's final word of encouragement on the subject of ministry is persevere. Keep on keeping on. Stick to your work. The focused, resolute, single-minded determination of a person who refuses to be distracted, discouraged, or dissuaded from good work until the mission is accomplished. The road of obedience is long, but the destination makes the journey worthwhile. Paul says you will save both yourself and your hearers. So let's understand that correctly, okay? It is God who saves, of course. We know this. Paul is not suggesting here self-salvation. Like if you do these things, you're going to earn it with your own works. 
Nowhere in Scripture does it say that, including what Paul is saying here. We receive salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But, Philippians chapter 2, we are called to work out our salvation. We are saved by faith, but we work it out. Go back to the trainer and training and gymnasium thing earlier in this passage. Our lives, our living, our choices, our words, our actions, our attitudes, our beliefs are to demonstrate the reality of our faith in Jesus Christ. So this promise of working out your salvation and pleasing God is based on a condition. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, if you do, you will. If you do, you will. The God who is always eager to save will always do his part when we do our part. So, Paul tells Timothy, Scripture tells us today, there is salvation for both the pastor and the people if we will hold firmly to the faith. I want to leave you with that thought. There is salvation. Praise God, there's salvation. This life isn't it. I haven't messed up so bad that, that I'm lost forever. There, there can be meaning and continuity to my life that lasts forever in heaven. My faith in Jesus Christ, there is salvation. Thank you. Are you holding firmly to the faith? Is a faith in Christ and salvation by grace through faith in Him that guides you, that informs you, that calls you, that strengthens you, that motivates you? Is that it? Um, are you holding firmly to the faith? If you were convicted of being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What do you think the people around you say? The people that see you at work, the people that see you at family gatherings, people that see you in private. What would they say? And I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but let's just be honest with ourselves. Um, what is it that we're actually persevering in? Let's just be honest with ourselves. And, and the good news is that when we are, that we can find God's grace there to carry on and to more tomorrow than yesterday become who Christ created us to be. That's really good news. So just be honest. Are you holding firmly the faith of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank